We're so glad to see you. My name is Kyle. We're glad that you're here this morning. Who's thankful for a roof and a heater? Okay, four of you. Okay, great. I thought it was cold, rainy. I'm really appreciated. Uh, we're very excited to have each and every one of you here today. Uh, standing here with me, I'm so happy to introduce uh, Roger Taylor to you. We've been praying and asking God to help us identify another pastor to join our team. And uh, Roger's going to help lead our older adults to find and follow Jesus and be a part of our team. And he and his wife, Sheila, are here. Would you welcome them by saying hello, clap for them, say hey, there you go. All right. Um, I've known Roger for quite a few years and just think it's really cool that God's crossed our paths to join together. We're going to be affirming him coming on board next week. Uh, some things that I think are really great to know about him. He and his wife Sheila have been married for over 40 years. And uh, he's been pastoring for over 40 years. And uh, he takes the call of Jesus uh, to uh, be a fisher of men really seriously. He's a great fisherman. And the reason why we know he takes that call really seriously is because he was on that boat with Jesus when that call was given. And uh, so anyway, uh, we love you, Roger. You, you want to say, you want to take the mic? No, he wants the mic. I passed the opportunity in the first service to uh, respond. <laughs> I just want to say that for my wife Sheila and I, it is such a joy to be back here today. Uh, the experience already today has been like coming home and just to be able to come and to worship and to be a part of the group here at Holland Chapel. Uh, we're just looking uh, forward with anticipation to what the Lord's will is and uh, what the Lord will be able to accomplish and do with us in this fellowship and in this ministry together. And so we covet your prayers. Pray for us that we will follow God's leadership and that we will be all that God would desire us to be in our ministry here. I'm going to let you off the hook. Well, thank you. I'm going to pray. How about that? You ask us to pray, we're going to do it. Father, we bow before you right now. I thank you for Roger and Sheila. Thank you for their life and how they've lived for you. Thank you for how you're putting us together to uh, just see great things accomplished for your kingdom's sake. We pray that you bless them, you guide them. We thank you for this great church that we get to be a part of. We pray you do great things in and through this church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Well, we are going to get into our brand new series uh, called Joy, and we're going to spend Seven weeks talking about joy. I know that's very depressing for you to hear, right? That's really sad. we got to spend seven weeks. We're very excited to be in the book of Philippians for seven weeks um, with you as we talk about this beautiful, beautiful idea of joy. Well, I don't know about you, but I want joy. I'm assuming that every single person in this room wants joy. I would go further than that and say we all want joy. And when I say we... I don't just mean the group that gathers here on Sunday morning at Holland Chapel, but I would say all of humanity wants joy. In particular, Americans want joy. I mean, it's like in our founding documents, right? Life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. So we find ourselves chasing those unicorns and those honest politicians, right? Here we are searching for happiness and searching for joy. Um, I would also say that most people are using up every available resource they have to find, acquire, get joy. We are using our lives, we are using our paychecks to get joy into our lives. We try putting things on our body to get joy. We try putting things in our body to get joy. 
We try relationship after relationship sometimes trying to find joy. Some people try religion after religion looking for joy. Some people go from church to church looking for joy. Some people try entertainment to find it. Some people try technology to find it. Some of us try getting in touch with nature to find it, whether it's hugging a tree in Washington State or shooting a perfectly innocent animal in Arkansas, right? We are looking for that moment to bring us this joy and this happiness. We want joy. We want joy. We need joy. It's something we need in our lives. Let me give you what I think the problem is with most people who are seeking joy. And this may be where you are. It's where I can find myself. It's a very natural way of doing things. And it's not a healthy way of doing things. It's not a Jesus way of doing things. But a lot of people are seeking joy for the sake of joy. In other words, I want joy for me. I want joy for just the sake of joy. I want joy so that I can be happy. I want joy so that I can feel good. I want joy so that I can experience what I want to experience. In other words, the end game of joy is just me being happy. Nothing wrong with a lot of things that I described earlier, things that maybe we're trying or that we're doing. Nothing wrong with those things, but if we're trying to find our joy in these things, we're going to miss it. And if we pursue joy merely for the sake of joy, we are going to miss it. We're going to miss it. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4 with me in verse number 4. This is going to be our key verse. This is going to be a verse that we'll go back to often in Philippians. We think it expresses this, this whole idea beautifully. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. It's going to be on the screen, and we encourage you to open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Now, if you are a believer and you're someone that has been in the Word of God for any time, of, uh, any period of time, or you've been in, any, uh, in church any period of time, this is probably a verse that you've come across before, probably a verse that you've read before. It's one of those verses that not only do we read, but a lot of times we memorize, and it's a great verse of Scripture. But even as followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we just catch the first part, which says always be full of joy, and we miss the in the Lord part. Because we want joy, and it's a good thing to get joy, and it's a good thing to have joy. But a lot of times, again, even as followers of Jesus, we forget that our joy is found in the Lord. Um, I don't know if all of you know this guy or not. Um, at the 9 o'clock gathering, there's a guy that stands at the back door back here, and we call him Backdoor Dave. That's what we call him, all right? He's Backdoor Dave. His name is David Edmondson. He's an incredible guy. And uh, I didn't go through that door, so I talked to him from a distance when I got out of my vehicle this morning because we always say good morning. I said, hey, Backdoor Dave. And he said, hey. And I said, man, we need you to teach today. He's like, What? I said, we need you to teach today. And he's like, ah, no. Uh-uh. Anyway, we came on in, and he, he really didn't hear clearly what I said. He said, hey, what would you say to me this morning? I said, I said, we need you to teach this morning. He's like, no, that's not going to happen. I said, well, I feel like you really know a lot about the subject that we're going to talk about. We're talking about joy. And here's what he immediately said to me. He said, wouldn't have something to do with Jesus, would it? If you know anything about David Edmondson and his story in life right now, there's a lot of things that have happened 
in, uh, to him and around him that would say, don't have joy right now. But that guy's got joy because he finds his joy not in his circumstances, but in the Lord. May you be full of joy in the Lord. The writer goes on, in case we missed it, verse number 4, he goes on to say it again. He says, I say it again, rejoice. Have joy in the Lord, and if you missed it, I'm saying it again, rejoice. So if you're taking notes, I want you to fill this in on your notes. It's not about joy for the sake of joy. Again, if that's what you're thinking about when it comes to joys, I just want joy for me, you're going to miss it completely. It's not about joy for the sake of joy. If you agree with any of these things that I like, give me a grunt, give me a clap, give me a something, all right? I like to win. All right, all right, some other winners in the room, or people that like to win anyway. I do, I'm competitive. Um, my oldest son was in a basketball tournament, and uh, we didn't win it, but, man, we were in it Friday night in the second game, and mm, I wanted it bad, right? Like, I like to win. I like to win. Okay, that guy likes to win, too. I, I, like, to, I like to feel good, and that can mean a lot of things, right? But just in general, I like to feel good. I like for my emotions to feel good. I, like for, I just like to feel good. Anybody else like to feel good? You probably do. I like to be healthy. I like to be healthy. I mean, I want to go to the doctor and say, everything looks good, and just keep, keep on going, right? I like to be healthy. Here's another one for you. I like to have fun. I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I like to carry on. I like to do things that are enjoyable. I like to have fun. Now, here's a question. What happens when we don't win? What happens when we don't feel good? What happens when we aren't healthy? What happens when we don't have fun? Can we have joy when we lose and when we win? This is the question that Razorback fans are wrestling with every day, right? Can we have joy in the midst of all this? Can we have joy when we feel good and when we feel terrible? Can we have joy when we are healthy and when we are sick? Can we have joy when we're having fun and when our world is crashing down. These words like win, feel good, healthy, and fun don't describe some of your lives today. It's not how it's going for you. In fact, right now, life is everything but those things. It's hard. Maybe some of you might go so far as to say your life right now is miserable in what you're experiencing in the circumstances around you. I want you to listen to me, believers. Listen to me, followers of Jesus. These are these moments when things are not going well. We get the news that we didn't want or didn't expect. These are those moments that God is actually giving us a platform. When things go bad is when you have your biggest platform to express and to declare to the world the joy of the Lord. Some of you in this room are are so wise and so mature to see that in your lives that when that moment comes for you and you get that news that nobody else wants to get and you have that platform and you choose to declare the joy of the Lord in that moment, some of you think because you're a Christian 
Everybody's looking at you to see whether or not you will sin or not. Like, oh no, if I mess up, they're not going to think I'm a Christian anymore. Let me tell you something. Most people who are not believers are not watching you to see whether you will sin or not. They are, they are smart. They know that you're not perfect. They get that, okay? Now, I'm not saying that's an excuse to go out there and sin, but I'm just telling you the biggest thing they're looking for is how are you going to react? What are you going to say? What are you going to do when life throws that curveball your way? Are you going to find joy in the Lord and express that and rejoice? Are you going to do something the opposite of that? Listen to me. Never in Scripture, never in Scripture do we read or do we see that we are promised a life that is easy. And we definitely are not promised it to be easy as we follow Jesus. In fact, if you'll read the Scripture, there are warnings to us that say if you are going to follow Jesus, it's actually going to be hard. If your impression of Christianity is that everything will go well for you, you will always win, you will always feel good, you will be uh, healthy and wealthy and all those great things. Listen, you have missed the Scripture completely. In particular, you've missed the Gospel. The Gospel is the story of Jesus here on earth. The gospel is the story of how Jesus lived his life. And let me tell you, his life was not easy. And the biggest picture of his life that we get is towards the end. And it was anything but easy. It was everything that was hard. It was a struggle. It was difficult. It was painful to the point that they scourged him, beat him, threw him down, treated him like trash, hung him on a cross, And in the midst of all of that process, as it was coming, and Jesus knew what was coming his way, he experienced such anxiety. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to make a single noise. But a lot of us in this room, we experience anxiety, don't we? We feel it, and we feel it strong when things are coming on hard. Jesus felt it too. And he decided to go to the Father to the point that he said, Father, would you give me a different plan? I don't like this plan. I don't like the way this is going because he knew it was the way of the cross. And the father said, nope, this is the plan. We're sticking to it. Guess what Jesus did? He stuck to the plan. And he suffered, and he bled, and he died for my sin and for your sin. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that's read the Scripture, you know where we're going with this, right? Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back from the grave. In him we find our hope. In him we find our joy. Listen, everything that we do as followers of Jesus, it comes back to the gospel, including our joy. Our joy is not based in circumstances. Today may be a good day. Tomorrow may be a bad day. God says we can have joy on good days and bad days because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. So it's not joy for the sake of joy. But again, in your notes, I want you to put this down. It's about joy for the sake of the gospel. Joy for the sake of the gospel. I find my joy. You find your joy in the gospel, in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's about joy for the sake of the gospel. The guy that's writing Philippians that we're going to be reading over the next several weeks, his name's Paul. He used to have a different name. His name was Saul. And when his name was Saul, he hated Jesus. He hated Christianity. He was Christianity's number one enemy. He hated it. Then he met Jesus, it changed his life, 
He experienced joy. He's writing about joy here, and you would assume he's, you know, assume he's hanging out like on an island somewhere, and there, you know, just it's it's you know all inclusive, and he's just having a great time writing about joy. That's not where he's at at all. Paul, while he's writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter four, when he said, "Rejoice in the Lord," and again I say, "Rejoice," he's in prison. Guess why he's in prison? Not for cheating on his taxes. Not for all the other immoral things that we could come up with. He's in prison because he's been faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about joy from prison. He doesn't have joy for the sake of joy. He has joy for the sake of the gospel. And he wants us to experience it no matter what our circumstances are. i got a question for you, and I think it's an incredible question. I want you to process it with me. Is there any greater joy than knowing every sin you have ever done is wiped away? Is there any greater joy than knowing, like, just cleansed, forgiven, may right? The idea that one of these days will stand before the Creator and know that He has said everything has been made right. With this thing called sin, this thing called wrongdoing in our life, even if you're not a believer, You've got things like guilt that overwhelm you. When you do things that aren't right, it bothers you in your conscience. For those of us that are saved, we have the Spirit of God living us, and it bothers us. It's called conviction. But when we think about Jesus and the glorious work on the cross and the gospel, and we understand that by faith we have been cleansed, that we are forgiven, that we are accepted by God, that we are wanted by God, that we are not his enemy, but we are his friend. Is there any greater joy in knowing that he wants us, accepts us, loves us, wants to spend eternity with us? Is there any greater joy than knowing every sin you've ever done is wiped away? Now, if you're a believer, listen, if this doesn't give you reason to rejoice, I got nothing else for you. I mean, I, this is it. This, this is it. So believers, when we come together in a worship gathering like this, there ought to be joy that is overflowing. There ought to be worship that just explodes. Why? Because we are forgiven people. We are forgiven people. And listen, if you're not a believer, if you're someone that's not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is joy that awaits you if you experience his forgiveness and his cleansing that only he can bring. So as we think about Philippians and this letter that was written to this church at a place called Philippi, before we really delve into the book of Philippians, I want us to look back and think back as to how it all began. This church that's being written to a few years before, 10, 12 years before this is being written, started. Here's how churches start. The gospel is planted, and then a church is planted. That's just the way it works. The gospel is planted, and then a church is planted. In the city called Philippi, the gospel was planted, and then a church was planted. Paul and a co-laborer in Christ named Silas went to this city to preach the gospel, to plant the gospel, and therefore we're able to plant a church. This city is in what we know today as Europe. The gospel at this point is spreading fast. It's going far, and God is moving mightily. 
Philippi is kind of this small version of Rome. Uh, Rome was taking over the world at the time, and they were going in, leaving their footprint everywhere they went. And in Philippi, they built all the, all the buildings to look like Rome. Everything functioned much like Rome. And so they're going to the city of Philippi. Look with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look back a little bit so we can see where it all came from. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Acts 16, verse 13, to the city of Philippi. This is Paul going to the city, okay? And on the Sabbath, that would be their Saturday. It would be a Jewish day of worship. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city, the city of Philippi, to Riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So it wasn't unusual in some of these larger cities that were outside the the normal Jewish world on, on into the Roman world that the Jews would gather on a Sabbath day down by the riverbank. It just kind of happened. It's just kind of their gathering spot in all these cities. And they thought, we'll go down there and we'll find some people that want to talk about God. And so they did. Verse 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. So we've got Lydia. Lydia is a woman who is a very successful business woman. She has moved to Philippi for work and for wealth. She's making it well. And she has gathered up with this group. Look on now in verse number 14. This lady, Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Look what it says. Who worshipped God. So she worshipped God. We could call her a God-fearer. Okay, a God-fearer. And it's a good thing to fear God. She was a God-fearer. In our context today, okay, here in 2019, we would call her a church-goer. Can we agree there are people that go to church on Sunday morning who have never had a life-changing experience with Jesus? They believe in God. They fear God. They go. They sing songs, but their life hasn't been changed by Jesus. I think a lot of people do that on Sunday mornings. Maybe just maybe that's you, and I'm not saying that to rough you up. If you're leaning into who God is right now and you're here because you fear God, that is a very, very beautiful thing. Look on in Acts chapter 16 there. It says, who worship God. It says, as she listened to us, Paul, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Well, I wonder what Paul was saying. Let me tell you what Paul was saying. How, I, how do I know what Paul was saying? Because Paul said the same thing over and over and over and over again. City after city after city after city. He preached the same thing. Guess what he preached? That Jesus is God. And that he laid down his life for the sins of all mankind on the cross. He bled there. He suffered there. He died there to pay for the sins of all of humanity. And that he got up from the dead on the third day. And that he and he alone is the way of salvation. That's what he preached. Okay, It's what we preach here because it is the gospel. It is our message. It is our hope. And as he preached this, we see that she accepted what Paul was saying. This was a life-changing moment for Lydia. She went from a God worshiper and a God fearer to a Jesus follower. She went from someone that had her hopes that God would do something for her to having God do something for her. And what God did for her is what she couldn't do for herself. God forgave her of her sin. This was this moment that began joy in her life like no other. All of it wiped away. All of it cleansed. All of it made right. It goes on now in verse 15. 
She was baptized along with the other members of her household. She asked us, Paul and Silas, to be her guests. She said, if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Look on now to verse number 30, uh, excuse me, verse 16. Verse 16. From Lydia on to someone else. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, back down by the river, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. Now, here's what I know. Most of us in this room don't really know what all that means. In fact, we just read it, and those terms are like, is this for real? Like, demon and possessed and slave. Like, we really don't understand what any of those words mean. We don't. We, we, we have an idea from the history books, which is made up however they wanted to make it up about slavery, and we think that was 150 years ago, and we don't think it goes on in the world today. It's still a very real thing. Slavery is still a very real, vile thing that happens within the world. It means that someone else owns you, and they do with you whatever they want to do. And this whole demon possession thing, we sure enough don't get that. I would tell you that I think there is still a lot of demon possession in this world today. Even in our culture, we just call it a lot of other things. We call it a lot of other things. Now, I just freaked half of you out, and you're like, where are we going with this? Where we're going with this is that there is a real spiritual battle in this world. God is real, and he is all-powerful, and Satan is real, and he has a lot of power, and Satan has a lot of helpers, and they're called demons, and if they can take control of someone, they will. They will. So we've got this demon-possessed slave girl. Everything in life is stacked against her at this point. Verse 16 goes on to say that she was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. So she had the ability to at least believably so tell people what was going to happen next. Seemingly it happened often enough that people trusted her to pay her money to say what's going to happen in my life. I want to be happy, so if you can tell me something bad's going to happen so I can go around that, that would be great. Or, man, if you can tell me something good's going to happen, I don't have to do anything different. I can just keep rocking on. I want joy. I want to pay you to give me joy. Guess who got the money that she was paid? Her masters, those who own her. So we've got a very used and abused young lady. Goes on, verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, this is the first time you've ever read this story. If you're like me, leaning into this, I thought she would say something completely different than that. I'm thinking she would have said something that we didn't want to repeat, <laughs> that we definitely need to be written down in Scripture, and yet she's going around declaring this incredible thing. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I got to thinking about this. I thought, man, maybe I can get somebody to go around with me like when I'm preaching, like before I get in the room. Hey, Kyle's coming in. He's of the Most High God. He's going to tell you how to be saved. You know, kind of get a hype person, you know, get everybody hyped up. Okay. That's what she's doing. She's going around. But look at what happens in verse number 18. This went on day after day. Any parents in the room? Our kids are cute and cuddly, aren't they? But sometimes they wear us out, do they not? And sometimes it's because they incessantly, eternally talk. And sometimes it's the same thing over <laughs> And over and over again. And it may not be a bad thing, but every now and then, can I just get some peace and quiet, right? All right. This went on day after day until Paul got 
so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. And some of you parents are like, I wish I had that gift. But Paul cares for this young lady. She's saying good things, but like it's, it's not happening all the way it should be. Like She's being controlled by a demon, and, and Paul looked at her with compassion, also exasperation both, but he, he threw this demon out. You think, man, the story's getting better. It's getting good. It got better for the slave girl, but continue to read. Look at the curveball that comes in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Wait a minute. I thought we were going to talk about joy for seven weeks. This is not going so well for them. Listen, I'm here to tell you that when Jesus enters into the equation, he will truthfully bring joy to your heart, but the circumstances around you may, listen to me, may not get easier. They actually may get harder. They may get harder. Look at verse number 20. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, these masters were telling them. I mean, this, was their, this girl was their payday, right? Now she couldn't do all of these fortune tellings because the demon one's gone. It says the whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted at the city officials. Verse 21. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. These guys could care less what the laws were. All they cared about was this demon-possessed slave girl was no longer under the demon's control and was no longer under their control and could no longer make them money. That's all they cared about. That's all they cared about. So somebody was going to have to pay. Well, who's going to have to pay? The guy who threw the demon out, whose name is Paul. Look now, verse number 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Can we say this is kind of a bad day for them? Can we agree? It goes on. They were severely beaten, and when they were thrown into prison, the jailer, remember this, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Now, that's kind of the jailer's job all the time, right? I mean, the jailer's job is to make sure everybody stays in jail. But in particular... The leadership of the city was so riled up about Paul and Silas, they made it clear to the jailer, like, it's not just in your job description, but we're making this clear to you today. Do not let these guys get out for any reason under the sun. Okay, don't do it. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know about you, but my natural way of doing things doesn't look like when I get thrown into jail for doing something good, do I go singing to Jesus and praying. That's just not, my flight gets delayed. I'm griping and complaining. Are you with me? Anybody else? Like, I mean, maybe, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, and every time something didn't go good in your life, you start praying and you start singing. Maybe that's what you do. But I would suggest to you that most of us gripe and complain when our order at Sonic is a cherry limeade instead of what we ordered, which was a strawberry limeade, right? I want a manager out here right now, right? You with me? And we're not even talking about the big stuff right now, are we? And yet, 
It is big stuff to us. These guys get thrown in jail, and they choose, they choose in the midst of being in jail to pray and to worship. Look at the last part of verse 25. And the other prisoners were listening. you got to understand, they got thrown into a real jail with real lawbreakers. The scum were there, okay? The people that deserved to be there, they were there. They were there. Paul and Silas knew they were there, and they chose in this moment to take this platform to not whine and complain, as we would say they justifiably would have done. Instead, since they were justified through Jesus, they chose to praise and to worship and to pray to their God because they knew other people were listening. Let me tell you something. When things go hard in your life, people are listening. They are listening. Our kids are listening. Anybody besides me want God to change me just because of my kids, because my kids see me act. They see me react, right? You realize we got a lot of influence on our kids. Everybody with me? Like it's a big deal, parents. God needs to change our hearts because they're seeing everything that we do. They're seeing our coworkers are watching everything that we do. Again, I don't think they're watching you to see whether you're perfect or not. I think that one's like a, a gimme, like you're not perfect. Give me a break. But I do think they're watching us to see how we react to our God when our God allows something to happen to us that doesn't make any sense, that's negative, that hurts, that's sad, that is seemingly against us. They chose to praise and to worship. Look at verse number 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. This just went from bad to worse. You're not just in jail, you're like in the under dungeon of the jail. You don't want to be under a bunch of stuff that can fall on top of you when an earthquake comes. But an earthquake comes. This is what happens. Look at what happens. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. Oh, wait a minute. Things just shifted a little bit. Look what else happened. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. Huh. Chains are gone, doors are open. See ya! God has brought a miracle. All right, listen up. Verse number 27. The jailer, remember that guy? The guy that they said, don't let these guys get out for any reason? The jailer woke up. He was sleeping on the job. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Whoa, that's intense. That's intense. This guy, in his mind, thinks the prisoners are gone. My hope is gone. My job is gone. And in reality, in that day and age, my head's going to be gone. So I'm not going to wait around for it. I have no hope. I'm in this thing now. It's intense. Verse 28. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Can you imagine being this jailer ready to take your own life and you hear this voice cry out to you, the voice of the very one that you were told not to let go under any circumstances, say to you, don't do what you're about to do. We are still here. Now, at some point, and we don't have this part of the story written Paul and Silas had to have a little bit of communication, like when the earthquake came and the doors opened and their chains fell off, 
at some point they had to decide, should we stay or should we go? And for whatever reason, seemingly being filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, they decided we're supposed to stay in prison. So he speaks out with compassion. In verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I wonder why he asked that question. Do you think by chance when Paul and Silas were singing and they were praying, do you think by chance they were singing about the forgiveness they had in Jesus? Do you think by chance they were singing about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you think by chance their prayers didn't just look like, God, we're in jail, get us out of here. But instead, they look like, God, you are good. You sent your one and only son to die for our sins, and you came back from the dead, so we praise you, we worship you. You are good to us, even in the midst of this. And so he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? It's the question that some of you need to ask this morning. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be accepted by God. You will no longer be under his judgment. You will be under his grace. You will no longer be separated from him. You will be brought close to him. Your destination in eternity will no longer be hell. It will be heaven. You will be rescued. And he goes on to say, along with everyone in your household, this message is true for you, it's true for your wife, it's true for your kids, it's true for your parents, it's true for your in-laws, it's true for everybody. Verse 32, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds, that he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So we see this jailer going from taking his own life to believing in Jesus and experiencing eternal life. This is radical. This is just, what a shift. This guy who has no joy, no hope, no future, to now having a future that's going to last forever with God. Why? Because of the gospel. The gospel. Why did the gospel speak so loudly into his life? Because of a couple of guys named Paul and Silas who had the gospel, who understood the joy that they had in Jesus, decided to declare that, sing that, pray that, preach that, even when everything in life was going wrong. And his whole life was changed. And after receiving Jesus, it says that they were immediately baptized. If you've believed in Jesus and you haven't followed him in baptism, that's your next step. Identifying with God publicly through baptism, that's your next step. Identifying with the body of Christ through baptism, that's your next step. And so we see this church through this woman named Lydia, this slave girl, and now this jailer coming to be as the gospel was planted, a church was planted. Verse 34, he brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He and his entire household did what? He and his entire household did what? He and his entire household did what? It's almost like this joy thing just like multiplies when you share it. This guy was going to kill. Can you imagine what his house would have been like that night if mama would have gotten word that her husband has just killed himself, 
but now they're home experiencing eternal life. This is the hope that the gospel brings. This is the hope that the gospel brings. And God brings it into our lives. And oh, the joy that we can have and should have in Jesus. A couple questions for you. How many people, potentially, you don't know the answer to this. You may know part of the answer to this. For some of you, you can be like, that's me. How many people know about Jesus because of Holland Chapel? I got an answer for you. A bunch, a whole bunch. This church is over 70 years old, been proclaiming the gospel faithfully for all of these years. How many people would not have heard the gospel if it weren't for this church? A bunch. This church at Philippi, hearing the gospel, lives being changed. As many of you know, um, we are going to be planting another church in the really near future. Uh, God's brought us the Johnson family and Aaron and Renee and his, his family. God's just using them, preparing them. God's preparing a team around them. We cannot wait to share some more things with you as they develop. But what we do know, and we're able to announce to you this morning, is we have identified where they're going to go to plant. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, because I think I didn't prep the first service as well as I should have, so I'm going to prep you. This is something we get to rejoice in. Okay, so get ready because we're going to rejoice. All right, anyway, we've identified the area in which they're going to plant. It's in northwest Arkansas that they're going to go plant a church. Celebrate church. That's good. That's rejoicing. I don't know if you know how fast northwest Arkansas is growing. There are cities up there that are growing by 40 people a day. It's crazy. And so the plan is for them to go and plant the gospel and plant a church. Pray specifically for the Johnson family, Aaron, Renee, and um, Jeremiah, and Micah, and Lily. This next weekend, they're going to be making a trip up there to identify exactly what city that's going to be. And uh, listen, just pray for them. As everything has changed, they moved from Pennsylvania to Benton for a short time to get prepared. They're going to be moving in the near future to new schools for their, for their kids. Just pray that God blesses them as they're in high school and junior high and middle school as they're making all of that shift. Why? For the sake of the gospel. And you look at their lives and you see joy. Why? It's not joy for the sake of joy. It's joy for the sake of the gospel. So pray for them as they go this next weekend. And it's an exciting, exciting thing. As we think about these three people that we just read about in the book of Acts, Lydia, and we think about this demon-possessed slave girl, and we think about this jailer. Let me ask you these questions, all right? Going to come on the screen. Do you know a business person? That's who Lydia was. Do you know a business person searching for more? I mean, Lydia had it all, if you will. I mean, she was making money. She, she obviously had a family, probably had a great place to live. Everything was going really, really well for her, but obviously she needed something more. How many people do you know that need something more? They need joy, they need peace, they need hope in their life. That you need to point to Jesus. God sent Paul and Silas to point Lydia to Jesus. And it says that she and her household were saved. Let me ask you another question. Do you know a young person who is stuck in a bad situation? Do you know somebody that is just stuck. Maybe they're being used. Maybe they're being abused. And the hope that they need right now in their life is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you need to be praying for and sharing the gospel with that God can radically and forever change their life. Another question for you. Do you know a hard worker? That's what the jailer was. Do you know a hard worker who is desperate for hope? 
Somebody just gets up and goes to work every day, and they get up the next day, and they go to work, and they go to work, and they go to work, and they come home, and they go to work. It's just over and over again, but there's just no hope in their life, and they're thinking about giving up. They're thinking about quitting. They're thinking about cashing it all in and saying, forget it. Who do you know that's desperate for hope? God has put you in their life, church, to share the gospel with them. It's what they're desperate for. It's who we find our joy in. And last but not least, this is so just the essence of what we've been saying. When you get the gospel, you get joy. And let me tell you something, church. If we, God's people who have the gospel, don't have joy, then there is no joy available. But I believe that we have the gospel, and therefore we can and we should have joy. So let's celebrate it. Even when things don't go our way, even when they mess up our order, even when our kids go sideways, even when the doctor tells us what we don't want to hear, joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else the gospel does. The gospel declares to us that in the end, listen to me, in the end, God is going to make everything right. And right now, everything's all messed up. I know that. But the gospel declares that in the end, everything is going to be made right. And so through believing in Jesus and being with Jesus, we know that one of these days, everything is going to be made right. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let me give you a couple ways to respond this morning. Maybe, maybe the way you need to respond this morning is you, just, you need to believe in Jesus. You're hearing the gospel. You're hearing that Jesus died for you and that he rose again for you and that he is your only way of salvation and of forgiveness and the joy giver. I want to invite you to believe in Jesus today. Make this your moment where you go from being a church goer to a Jesus follower and let everything change the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe for you, you're a believer, you have this joy, and you're realizing there are some successful people around you, there are some, there are some desperate people around you, there are some hardworking people around you, and what they need right now in their life is the gospel. May God grant us the boldness to share the gospel with those that God has put around us. Maybe that's what you need to ask God for today. It's just the boldness to share that with someone else. Let's pray.